questions to the Prime Minister. Mark Menzies. Yeah. Yeah. Question number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to Private John Howard from 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment, who died on Sunday, the 5th of December. He was an incredibly gifted and popular paratrooper. We should send our condolences to his family, his friends and the lo his loved ones at this very sad time. Mr Speaker, while I was in Afghanistan, I also met the two brave paratroopers who were wounded at the same time as he was tragically killed. They were in the excellent Camp Bastion Hospital, and I know their families will be relieved to know that they are doing well and in extremely um, good spirits. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in the House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mark Menzies. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I would like to associate myself with the condolences expressed by the Prime Minister. Does my right honourable friend uh, agree with me that it is vital that we invest in the future of the unmanned aerial vehicle programme that is developed at Watton in my constituency? And will the Prime Minister accept my invitation to come and see firsthand the outstanding workforce that is, that is driving the innovation and skills at that plant? Well, I'd be delighted if I could take up the opportunity of seeing my honourable friend's uh, constituency and that facility. The truth is that the UAV programme is exactly the sort of defence asset that we should be investing in. It, is, it plays an absolutely vital role in Afghanistan, and we're increasing the spending that we're doing on, on that project. But also, it shows that the point of having a defence review is vital to start spending money on the weapons of the future rather than on, uh, on legacies of the past. Ed Miliband. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker can, I, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Private John Howard from 3rd Battalion, the Parachute Regiment? He showed enormous courage. We pay tribute to his sacrifice, and our thoughts and deepest condolences are with his family. Uh, and I join the Prime Minister also, since he originally came back from Afghanistan, in paying tribute to all our troops serving in Afghanistan and, indeed, their families. Can the Prime Minister confirm that after his changes are introduced, English students will pay the highest fees of any public university system in the industrialised world? Well, the figures are well known about what students will pay. They are much lower. They are, they are much lower than what students, for instance, pay in the United States. But I have to say, I have to say to the Honourable Gentleman, in the end, we have to make a choice here. If we want to see if we want to see university education expand, if we want to see universities well funded, we have to work out where that money is going to come from. Our proposal is that graduates should make a greater contribution, but only if they're successful. They will only start paying back when they are earning £21,000. That is better than the system we inherited. Mr Speaker, he didn't answer the question. No. This country will have the highest fees for going to a public university in the whole industrialised world. And, and, he says, and he says his plans are about properly funding universities. They're not. He's cutting public you know, investment in universities and loading costs onto students and their parents. Will, will, he admit, will he admit that the reason fees are being trebled is to make up for an 80% cut in the university teaching budget? The reason that these contributions are going up is because we were left a completely unsustainable situation. That is why, that is why before the last election, the Labour government put in place the Brown Commission, and that is why the Conservative Party backed 
elected. One party has had the courage of its convictions to see this through. To be fair to the Liberal Democrats, they never signed up to the Brown Review. He did, and he's the one guilty of rank hypocrisy. Mr Speaker, he's given it away, one party. Now, there are 57, 57 Liberal Democrats. They're split four ways. Even, that's something, even for the Liberal Democrats. And things, and things are so bad. And things are so bad, Mr Speaker, the Honourable Member for Birmingham Yardley is offering his own unique solution to the vote tomorrow. He says, if you run quickly, you can vote both ways. <laughs> I, I have to say, I have to say if, the, if the Kremlin were spying on the Liberal Democrats, we know why. They want a bit of light relief, frankly. <laughs> Now, let, let, let's, let's have him answer another question. Let's have him answer another question, but he didn't answer the first two. He says he doesn't want the next generation to be in debt. So does he not understand the anxiety that students and parents have about starting their adult life with a debt of £40,000? Ladies and gentlemen, you can't attack a plan if you don't have a plan. The fact is, they went into the last election. He went into the last election with a 25% cut plan in the business department. And he's got absolutely no way of making the numbers add up. What everybody knows, Mr Speaker, they said they wouldn't introduce tuition fees. They introduced them. They said they wouldn't introduce top-up fees. They introduced them. They said they supported the Brown Review. He wrote it into their manifesto. Why are they breaking their pledge about the Brown Review? The fact is, ah, all this finger pointing is very unseemly. I want to hear the response of the Prime Minister. Prime Minister. The leader of the Labour Party saw a big crowd assembling in the mile and he just decided, I am their leader, I must follow them. That's his idea of leadership. Ed Miliband. A week really is a long time in politics. Not so much waving, but drowning. Now, let's talk about social mobility, Mr Speaker. Let's talk about social mobility because that is at the heart of these proposals. Let me quote someone that the Prime Minister used to trust on social mobility. The person he appointed to head his social mobility task force, the Right Honourable Member for Holton Price and Howden. He says this, I'm concerned about the effect this would have on social mobility and the huge level of debt we're encouraging young people to take on. I know he doesn't have much time for him these days, but why doesn't he listen to him on this issue? Yeah. Well, well, let me tell him what's happened in terms of social mobility. Last year, there were 80,000 students on free school meals. Only 40 of them went to Oxford and Cambridge. That is the situation with social mobility. What we are introducing, and I know they don't want to hear the details, a situation where nobody pays fees up front, including part-time students, which is 40% of students. Nobody pays anything back until they are earning £21,000. Under the new system, everyone will pay back less than what they pay uh, under the current system. They will pay back less every month. That is the case. The poorest will pay less. The richest will pay more. It is a progressive system, but he hasn't got the courage of his convictions to back it. Ed 
Miliband. Speaker, only the Prime Minister could treble tuition fees and then claim it's a better deal for students. No one is convinced, frankly. And look, isn't it, isn't it absolutely clear this policy is in chaos? The Education Minister refuses to answer questions on it. They rush out proposals daily. Isn't the most sensible thing to do for the Prime Minister? Go away, think again, and come up with a better proposal. The right honourable gentleman has absolutely no idea what he would put in his place. He supported a graduate tax, which his shadow chancellor doesn't back. He was the person who wrote the manifesto suggesting the Brown Review. He is just demonstrating complete political opportunism. Total opportunism. He is behaving like a student politician, and frankly, that's all he'll ever be. Ed Miliband. Oh, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I, I, I was a student politician. But I, I, but I wasn't hanging around with people who are throwing bread rolls and wrecking restaurants. Truth. Isn't the truth that all he can offer us is you've never had it so good on planet Cameron? Yeah. And, and what does he have against young people? He's taken, away, he's, he's taken away the child trust fund, he's abolishing the educational maintenance allowance, he's scrapping the future jobs fund, and now he's trebling tuition fees. Isn't the truth? Isn't the truth? He's pulling away the ladder, but he doesn't understand the lives of ordinary people up and down this country. is if you introduce a graduate tax you are going to be taxing people on £6,000, on £7,000, on £9,000. Where is the fairness in that? The truth of the matter is, Mr Speaker, the truth of the matter is we examined a graduate tax, we know it doesn't work. His party examined a graduate tax, they know it doesn't work. The Liberal Democrats had a look at a graduate tax, they know it doesn't work. The only reason the only reason, Mr Speaker, he is backing it is because it gives him a political opportunity. Well, I know what it's like. You can sit there for year after year. You see a political opportunity, but you'll never be a party of government. Chris Kelly. Far too much noise in this chamber. The public absolutely detest and despise it. The House must come to order. Chris Kelly. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister may be aware that a young constituent of mine, Connor Rankin Christie, was stabbed at the weekend in an unprovoked attack and has consequently been battling to overcome life threatening injuries this week. The suspect was released on bail just 24 hours after the attack, which has understandably upset and worried the victim's family. Does my right honourable friend agree that the court should still be able to remand individuals in custody in the most serious cases where there's a risk that the defendant will cause injury by reoffending? Yeah. I completely agree with my honourable friend. He's absolutely right. The courts must have this power. And if there is someone who they believe is dangerous and could offend again, then it's absolutely right that person is not given bail. That it happens under our system, and it should go on happening under our system. Mr. Angus McNeil. Question number two, Mr. Speaker. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Expenditure through the programme partnership agreements is not being reduced. We expect to allocate £120 million every year to this programme uh, from 2011 to 2014. At the same time, we're increasing overall levels of support for the most effective organisations working overseas, and we are keeping the promise to reach 0.7% of gross national income for aid by 2013. Mr. Angus McNeil. Mr. Speaker, many colleagues on both sides of the House, including myself, have seen at first hand the great work that VSO volunteers do worldwide. Can the Prime Minister assure the House that he will provide and continue to provide the necessary support and the expected support for VSO to continue to improve the lives of 26 million people around the world? I can do that. Voluntary Services Overseas is an excellent organisation. I know it has widespread support across this House. My honourable friend, the Secretary of State at DFID, is in discussions with them about how we can make sure their programme goes on succeeding and expanding. Fundamentally, with a growth in the budget for DFID, there's every chance that that could happen, and that's what I expect to see. A government backbencher to contribute on this closed question. Mr Malcolm Bruce. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Voluntary Services Overseas provides very valuable experience opportunities as well as giving people a connection with development. I welcome what the Prime Minister has said, but can he give an assurance that VOC's current, VSO's current concerns that their budget might be cut will be overcome by giving them access to other budgets within the Department for International Development? Yeah, no, I, I do believe that the discussions are going extremely well, and I think that it will be possible to guarantee that. One of the reasons people are asking this question is because programme partnership arrangements, the government wants to make sure that organisations are not wholly dependent on government money, but also seek sources of funding elsewhere. But as my right honourable friend says, there are opportunities through other budgets within the DFID, including the Global Fund to Combat Poverty, where they can also make applications as well. Mr David Crosby. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Whilst temperatures drop right across the UK, profit margins for the energy companies have risen by an unacceptable 38%, compelling uh, those on limited incomes to turn their heating down. So what will the Prime Minister do to force these privatised companies to pay back some of their excessive profits to customers before more pensioners freeze to death? Well, the Honourable Gentleman is right to ask this question, and there are two things that need to be done. First is the regulatory authorities need to be tough with the energy companies, and that's exactly what I expect Ofgem to do. The second thing that needs to happen is that the cold weather payments uh, need to kick in. Already we've spent £173 million since the particularly cold weather, and one of the reasons this is um, working so well is what was a temporary increase from the party opposite before the last election we have made permanent. Anna Subri. This morning, Mr Speaker, I... I spoke to one of my constituents, uh, a Mrs. Lowry. She's 76. It might come as news to members' office if they were quiet and who should try it. Um, she's 76 years of age. She's disabled and she's been housebound now for 11 days because of the snow and ice in Stapleford. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that in this inclement weather it's imperative we are all good neighbours, especially to the elderly and to the frail? I think my honourable friend makes an extremely good point. Yes, of course, the government should be there with the cold weather payments, and we are. The, go the government should be there with the winter fuel payments, and we are. It's important that local government plays its role, making sure the grit supplies are there. But there's also something that we can all do to help neighbours and people um, that could suffer in, in this cold weather by being good neighbours, and the honourable lady is quite right to raise that point. Kerry McCarthy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
The, as someone who claims to be an ad- avid fan of the Smiths, the Prime Minister will no doubt be rather upset this week to hear that both Morrissey and Johnny Marr have banned him from liking them. Oh. <laughs> the, the Smiths are, of course, the archetypal student band. If he wins tomorrow night's vote, what songs does he think students will be listening to? Miserable Lie, I Don't Owe You Anything, or Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now? I, um, I expect that I've... If I turned up, I probably wouldn't get this charming man. Um, and if I went with the Foreign Secretary, it'd probably be William. It was really nothing. <laughs> Stuart Jackson. <laughs> Does the right honourable, my right honourable friend agree with me that it's a badge of shame for which the party opposite... Well, Joseph, there's simply too much noise. It's very unfair. I want to hear Mr Stuart Jackson. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that it's a badge of shame for which the party opposite should apologise to taxpayers, parents and pupils that, having doubled education spending in their term of office, they managed to drive down uh, educational uh, attainment standards to the bottom of the International League, according to the OECD? Well, my honourable friend makes a good point, and frankly, the tables that have been published today make very depressing reading, where we're falling behind countries like Poland and Estonia, who we should be well ahead of. And frankly, this does come to the choice that we have to make. We've made the choice of putting an extra £3 billion into the school's budget during this Parliament because we want to see more done in early years and primary education so we can actually get the sort of social mobility that the Right Honourable Gentleman earlier was posing about. Emma Reynolds. Speaker, over half of the students at the University of Wolverhampton come from disadvantaged backgrounds. This morning, the University and College Union says that it's one of the universities at high risk due to the government's massive 85% cuts to its teaching grant. Can the Prime Minister explain to students and local businesses exactly why he's putting the Wolverhampton University at risk in this way? The Honourable Lady stood on a manifesto of supporting the Brown Commission. Yes, she did. She can deny it now. That is what the manifesto, written by the Leader of the Opposition, said. But the fact is, we have to make a decision here. Do you think it's right to go on with taxpayers making the predominant support for university education? Well, they say yes now. That is not what they stood on at the last election. I think it is more fair... Many taxpayers don't go to university and don't benefit from university education. Therefore, it is better to ask students to contribute, but only when they're successful. Because no one contributes until they earn £21,000, which is £6,000 more than the system her party introduced. Michael Ellis. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Is my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, as concerned as I am about the absurd health and safety legislation that's reached such dizzy heights in this country that the Chief Executive of Sainsbury's told me last week that Christmas crackers are now categorised as Category 1 fireworks and cannot be sold to anybody under the age of 16 without a danger of a six-month sentence of imprisonment. Will he put a firework up the health and safety legislation? uh, That would would give me enormous pleasure, and I look forward to doing so. Ian Meams. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister told the House in June that he'd been treated not too badly on his last visit to Gateshead, yeah. and we are by nature a very friendly bunch. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so will he return to discuss with re- regional political leaders of all parties their real concerns and fears that the Government's current, current strategy is undermining the potential for economic recovery in our region, in particular the slashing of the support for the tourist industry? And before he mentions it, 
We're already trying to squeeze a few gallons out of a pint-sized regional growth fund pot. What I'd say to the honourable gentleman is there is big government support for the North East, big support for Nissan and its electric car, supporting the National Renewable Energy Centre, which is building the world's biggest testing facility for wave and tidal technology. We've also awarded a £7 million contract for the construction of the first advanced bioethanol plant in the Tees Valley. So we are investing in the North East. But I have to say to him, he talks about a fragile economic recovery. If we'd listened to his party, there wouldn't be a recovery. We'd be, we'd be, we'd be queuing up with Ireland to go to the IMF. And Maine. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Drunk and binge drinking has fuelled an economy in this country which has sadly seen, seen people the victims of knife crime. Could I ask him to stiffen the Justice Secretary's resolve in dealing with those who carry knives and those who, are, who, carry, who commit knife crimes? But the Honourable Lady makes an important point, and if she reads the Green Paper, she will see that adults co- co- committed, committing a crime with a knife should expect to go to prison. That is absolutely right, because there are far too many people committing knife crimes today who don't go to prison, and they should. Mr Gregory Campbell. The dissident terrorist threat in, is a continuing problem in Northern Ireland, and we have seen some evidence of their capabilities in recent months. Will the Prime Minister ensure that if additional resources that weren't previously envisaged are deemed necessary by the Chief Constable to deal with such a threat, that he will ensure that they are provided without delay? I would say to the Honourable Gentleman is, of course, we keep a very careful eye on the situation in Northern Ireland and whether additional resources are required. We stuck to the pledges made by the previous government about properly funding the devolution of policing and justice. I think decisions are made better locally, which is why that was the right step to take. I know how difficult the security situation is in Northern Ireland. I pay tribute to police on both sides of the border for the brilliant work they do. And of course, we always stand ready to help. But we did make quite a generous settlement in terms of of devolving law and justice, and that should be the first call of resources. Richard Ottaway. In Afghanistan on Monday, the Prime Minister said British troops could start coming home from Afghanistan as early as next year. This is a major policy uh, shift. With which of our allies did he discuss this decision? And does he envisage the gap will be filled by the Afghan army or by the US army? What I said in uh, Afghanistan is what I said before I went to Afghanistan uh, and what I'll happily say again today, which is the whole of NATO and the ISAF nations involved in Afghanistan are all committed to transition to Afghan control between the start of 2011 and the end of 2014. As that happens, clearly there will be opportunities either to reinvest troops into training missions or indeed to bring them home. And what the Chief of the Defence Staff and I both said at a press conference in Afghanistan is it may be possible to bring some of our troops home next year. Mr David Hanson. Tomorrow, Mr Speaker, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister will vote to break his election promise on tuition fees. Uh, This Prime Minister has also broken his election promise to maintain the Child Trust Fund for the poorest in our society. What message does this send to young people about trusting government? Well, I seem to remember he was a minister in the last government that commissioned the Brown Review. Yes, Yes, that went into the election, that went into the election 
committed to cuts of 25% in the biz budget. Now, if you were committed to that, what, what were honourable gentlemen opposite going to do? Were they going to cut the numbers of people in universities, or were they going to cut the money going to universities? We have had absolutely no answer. The people who are actually behaving in a way that I think drags politics through the mud are people who introduce tuition fees, introduce top-up fees, commission the Brown Review, and then as soon as they're in opposition, just behave irresponsibly and run away from it. George Eustace. Thank you, Mr Speaker. There are currently plans to regenerate Camborne and Roof, which would create 6,000 new jobs and uh, allow the building of a modern state-of-the-art mine in Redruth. Um, however, this work depends on transport infrastructure improvements <coughs> currently being reviewed by the Department for Transport. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that in difficult times, when capital is scarce, we should prioritise projects which create jobs and deliver growth, and that the Department for Transport should review its assessment criteria? No, I think my, my honourable friend speaks very well for his constituency and fights very hard for the economy in Redruth and, and Camborne. And he's absolutely right that when it comes to transport projects, of course we should give priority to those that have the greatest economic return. That is what the Department of Transport does. It also has to look at environmental and other factors, but where you can really show economic benefits from transport. And remember, we are putting more money into transport capital infrastructure than the previous government planned to. That is how decisions should be made. Nigel Dodds. <laughs> In light of his experience at the World Cup bid in Zurich uh, last week, uh, can the Prime Minister tell us what his view now is of an organisation that engages in the most convoluted and bizarre voting arrangements, which says uh, one thing and then votes exactly the opposite way, and who has, a, who has a leader that seems more interested in power and prestige than accountability? After he's finished with the Lib Dems, can he tell us what he thinks of FIFA? I certainly, I certainly learnt one thing. I certainly learnt one thing, which is when it comes to breaking promises, politicians have got nothing on football management. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I. Uh, <laughs> Before they all start pointing, we could just remember who was it who said we will never introduce tuition fees? Who said we will never introduce top-up fees? Who said we will back the Brown Review? Who is now an organised hypocrisy? Karen Lumley. <laughs> Karen Lumley. Following his visit to Afghanistan and the review of the military covenant published today, will he reassure me that his government will do, go that extra mile to support our troops and who have given so much to our country? Yeah. Well, I'm sure the whole House is grateful for what the Honourable Lady said about our troops. Uh, I was again struck on my visit to Afghanistan, just how hard these people are working, how courageous and professional and brave they are. They are genuinely the best of British. And we owe them support, not just for them, but also for their families. And one thing I'm pleased we have been able to do is to introduce a pupil premium for the children of forces families. I know from my own constituency, very often, children at schools dominated by forces families, many of them leave and go to a different school within each year. And I think giving extra support to forces his families in this way is absolutely right and something I'm sure will have all support. Howarth. In an incident at the Sonai factory in my constituency yesterday, two people working at the plant were tragically killed. I'm sure the Prime Minister will join in me in expressing deepest condolences to the families of those who were killed. And will he agree 
that when the health and safety executive and police investigations into what happened have been completed, whatever action is necessary will be taken. I, I certainly join the right honourable gentleman in what he says uh, about his constituents and the dreadful accident that took place. It is important. We have procedures in place for the health and safety executive and others to investigate these issues, and as he says, they should follow the evidence wherever it leads. Ian Swales. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that foundation schools are already free from local authority control, and will he meet with me to discuss the cancelled innovative project to join Foundation School Redcar Community College with Kirk Leatham Special School to replace their dilapidated classrooms and provide facilities for the community? I know that my right honourable friend, the school secretary, would be delighted to meet with the honourable gentleman to discuss this. The point is that all schools now being given this greater level of independence, whether foundation schools or whether the new academy schools, they should have a greater ability to get together to collaborate to invest in their future, rather than always having to rely on a drip feed from government ministers. Jack Drumy, um, is the prime minister aware, Mr. Speaker, that Parliament? may have been infiltrated by an imposter. Uh, the Deputy Prime Minister... The, de the, Deputy, the Deputy Prime Minister... The Deputy Prime Minister... The Deputy Prime Minister has said that he will vote to treble tuition fees and abolish the educational maintenance allowance. Before the general election, the leader of the Liberal Democrats said that he would vote to abolish tuition fees and keep the educational maintenance allowance. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister... The Honourable General will have a chance to finish his question without chuntering and shouting from a sedentary position. A last sentence. Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister tell the House, are there two Nick Cleggs? Well, I have to say, the... The Honourable Gentleman has the unique qualification of being one of the brothers who was selected on an all-women shortlist. <laughs> I think uh, next time he comes in, he should dress properly. Mr Don Foster. Uh, <laughs> that, that, thank, you, thank you, Mr Speaker. Within the, next couple, within the next couple of years, the MOD will relocate a further 1,300 jobs away from Bath, allowing two major sites in the city to be redeveloped. Given the urgent need for 3,000 additional affordable homes within the city, will he give me the assurance that the MOD will work with the Homes and Communities Agency and the local council to ensure that the sites can be used for those houses rather than merely to get the best price in the sale? Well, I discussed this with my honourable friend this morning, and, and I certainly agree that the Ministry of Defence should work with the homes and community agencies to try and bring this about. Sometimes the wheels can turn quite slowly when it comes to defence estates, and I know that he will work hard, and I will ask the Ministry of Defence to work hard to get this fixed. Stella Creasy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will be aware that a week is a long time in politics. Yeah. Having had all that time, could he now update the House on his rethink on the future of school sports partnerships? Yeah. Well, it's a very, I think there's quite a common position, actually, between both... Um, I, I read the debate where the 
uh, shadow sports minister said that clearly we couldn't afford the current level of commitment and also he also said that the current way of doing things wasn't particularly efficient so we are reviewing it and making sure that we do provide money for school sport from the center but we do it in a better way because frankly today there are too many children in too many schools that don't have access to sport after 13 years of a government that talked an awful lot about it Jeremy Lefroy thank you mr speaker yeah, yeah. The, the brown report states that only just over 1% of UK graduates made gifts to their former universities compared with at least 10% in the US. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that those of us who receive free university education and are in a position to do so should be encouraged to do some serious giving to universities to support current students? Well, I think my honourable friend makes an important point, which is in other countries they do better at endowing their universities and making sure they have a wider source of income. So I think he makes an important point. But the fundamental issue is this. If we're going to look for how we're going to fund universities in the future, it cannot be right, and we won't get a proper expansion of higher education if we just ask the taxpayer, many of whom don't go to university, to fund that expansion. It's right that students, but only when they're successful, only when they've left university, only when they're earning £21,000, then they should make a contribution, and they should do it in the progressive and the fair way that Brown and us have set out. Greg McClymont. Prime Minister will be aware of the Arctic conditions sweeping across central Scotland. Constituents of mine in Cumbernauld and Kilsyth and Kirkintilla have been trapped in cars and buses overnight, trapped in their own homes, and school children forced to spend the night in temporary accommodation. Can the Prime Minister assure me that the UK Government is offering all possible assistance to the Scottish authorities, up to and including the use of military personnel and equipment. Now, I can certainly give him that assurance that we stand ready to give any assistance in terms of how we are uh, doing these things. We have ministerial meetings at effectively the COBRA level that are going through what actions need to be taken. There is a bigger uh, strategic supply of grit than there's been in previous years. The military stand ready to help and whatever needs to be done, I can guarantee him, will be done. Or a statement, the Minister for Pensions, Steve Webb. 